Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. I'm speaking with Douglas Murray and his brand new, extremely significant book, The War on the West, The Hatred of Whites, as he just quoted from a some visitor to Yale, which is a wasteland Yale. I, I would pay $40,000. I would give my kid $40,000 not to go to Yale. And I, I mean that literally. Mm. Uh, I, I want to just develop this point. The hatred of the white is, is, as I said, a euphemism for the hatred of the West. Mm-hmm. See, the fact of the matter is Western classical music is the greatest music ever written. Yes. And they resent whites for having written it. Just as mm. the, the, um, there, there was a great non-Jewish thinker, uh, I will, his name will come to my mind momentarily. He wrote the Jewish mystique, Ernest von den Haag. He used to write mm. for National Review. He's a brilliant, brilliant he was a brilliant thinker. Mm. And he wrote, uh, and this is an area I have some expertise in, uh, anti-Semitism, I taught Jewish history on the college level, and I wrote this book. Von den Haag said the Jews were hated for bringing into the world a judging God. Mm. Mm. And, and and the the whites are hated not for slavery. <laughs> if if slavery meant you would be hated, there would be far more hatred of, of the Islamic and Arab worlds. That's exactly that's that's the point I bring across in the book, by the way. I, 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 I deliberately bring in information like that, which I think almost nobody in America knows. Um, you know, the transatlantic slave trade was it was an appalling, vile trade. It was also totally typical of the time. Um, everybody was selling and buying slaves. Of course, as Voltaire famously said in the 18th century, the only thing more wicked than what the Europeans were doing to the Africans was what the Africans were doing to their brother and sister Africans in stealing them and selling them and then trading in them. But put that aside for a second. Does one in a million Americans know that if maybe 10 million people, poor souls, were trafficked across the Atlantic during the transatlantic slave trade. Does one in a million Americans know that up to 18 million, 18 million African slaves were traded east to the Arab countries in the same period? Why then are there no descendants in Arabia? Because the Arabs, unlike the Americans and the Europeans, mm-hmm. castrated mm-hmm. every male so that there would not be another generation of blacks in the continent. So this was an actually genocidal movement. Do, 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 does anyone in the world, anyone in the West who beats up on the West, the undoubted evils of the slave trade, know that everybody did this? What, if we are to tear down things that slaves built or were built on the backs of slaves, we should start to tear down the pyramids in Egypt because the workers there didn't get a fair day's wage for a fair day's labor. We would have to pull down the Parthenon in Athens because does anyone think that it was Alcibiades himself who took the stones to the top of the mountain? And as for the tradition, as you just mentioned, of classical music, there's something which you know, Dennis, but some listeners may not, which is that at Oxford University, my own alma mater, and again, we mustn't get stuck on universities because this is all spilled out into the wider world, as Andrew Sullivan said, we all live on campus now. But at my own old university of Oxford, 
the music faculty is discussing stopping the teaching of the Western notation system because it is the creation of dead white males. And here is the thing that you know, Dennis, again, very few people do know this, that there are other notation systems in the world. The Chinese have a version. There is an Indian notation system that does the two things of working out how to do, how to put on the page time and pitch. But if you played today to somebody using any notation system other than the Western notation system, if you played a Haydn symphony and somebody wrote it down in these systems, they could not play back to you something that would even remotely sound like what was played. Whereas American musicologists and others for years traveled to places like Bali and wrote down the local music using the Western notation mm -hmm. system. In other words, what I'm saying is just as the Western system of mathematics works, not because it's for white people, because it works, just as the Western system of science and the scientific method works not because it was created by white people but because it works so the western system of music notation is not just one of many but the best system and not because it was created by white people but because it works exactly. and we are in the process of destroying all of these things in the name of anti-racism the war on the west douglas murray and it is up at dennisprager.com the dennis prager show Hi, everybody. Speaking to a kindred spirit, man who's courageous and profound, Douglas Murray. The book is The War on the West, second bestseller in the UK, fifth in the United States. And by the way, Amazon means anything. Children's books, fiction, silly books, <laughs> as in both of our cases, <laughs> beat us out by one. Uh, you will get a boost from this show because my, my listeners know that I am very serious about important books and I don't just recommend anything. Again, it's The War on the West with Douglas Murray. I have a question you're probably not asked much. It actually haunts me, this question, and I my answer, I have an answer, but I'm I'm not happy with it. So the question I have is, what makes a person like you, or to be honest, a person like me, what makes us? I mean, we're both uh, we're both outliers uh, in, in in our own worlds, and uh, I have come to the conclusion that there's no answer. It's sort of built in. We can't. There are people who can't stand lies. Yes. And I think you're one of them. I think I'm one of them. And we are being told to say the biggest lies ever. Not just the yes. two and two may not be four, but, but that what the West has made is not better. That's a gigantic mm. lie. It is better. Yes. So why, why, not why, what made you? And I don't have an answer, by the way. I don't know what made me. Uh, uh, so it just seems that nature or God or or throws out certain people who can't abide by uh, by the mediocre, by the lie, and there's no rhyme or reason. Do you have a theory? 
I have two theories. Uh, uh, one is what you just described, Dennis. Um, I I always struggle because I'm British by birth with ever saying anything sort of about myself. <laughs> I'm not used to it particularly. No, no, I I, I don't. Myself. I'm not. I don't find it easy either. But we have to do it. Yeah, we have to. I, I, some years ago, somebody asked me, uh, you know, what drives you, and I was umming and ahhing in a very British way. And a British journalist called Melanie Phillips, you may well know. Um, oh, was standing yeah. nearby, and she, and she leapt in, and she said, "Douglas has a very low tolerance threshold for lies." There you go. And so I've 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 used that ever since uh, with attribution. Um, so that's the first thing. I'll tell you what I think the second thing is, and this is something I don't think I've very often, if ever, said. I think that I'm driven by a vision of what a good life is, and what a good world looks like. And that isn't the same thing as a perfect world, and it isn't the same thing as um, a John Lennon-like imagined dream. It is that there is an optimal situation, which I believe I've seen, uh, seen versions of, a type of civilization which is as good as it can get. Now, you might say, what exactly is that? And as I say at one point in the book, if you asked me what I loved about Western civilization, I could spend the first hour just listing cities, Paris, Rome, Florence, Venice, Barcelona, Madrid, on and on and on. So I believe that I was lucky to be brought up in a moment when a vision of Western civilization was still visible, when it was still discernible, albeit through murk, through missed and much more um, through a smog you might say but I saw it and I believe in it and I admire it and I want crucially to retain it I don't want to destroy it I don't want to do what the cultural revolutionaries do and tear it down in the belief that what I could put up afterwards would be better I believe that the purpose of life is to a great extent to be found in locating that which is beautiful and good and desiring to not just continue it but to add to it if you can and that vision at any rate is one of the things that drives me and i would suspect is one of the things that drives you as well that's why yeah, there's no question that's why i don't think there is an answer my, mm. my question may simply almost even be naive what what makes the we're outliers by the way you you will find this of interest i have mentioned this uh, not in your presence on a on a few occasions if you look at the leading what what is known as public intellectuals of the right or conservative public intellectuals a disproportionate number of them are blacks jews and gays <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yes. Well, for a movement entirely comprised of bigots, of course. Yes, it, and it home, no, and homophobes and anti-Semites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, 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 when you look at the list, I could send you the list I've compiled. Very funny. It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's truly outliers. Mm. Uh, it, it, yeah. In each of those communities, the the dominant strain is on the left. Yes. Yes, it's possible that that itself throws up 
um, anomalies. And my belief is, by the way, and some of your listeners, particularly younger listeners, might might find this encouraging, is that if you walk through one fire, um, you will find it easier to walk through the next one and on and on until you become a quite practiced fire walker. And uh, that's one of my experiences in life is that the first times you, you sort of start to dip your feet into it, you, you, you are very sensitive, you are fearful, understandably, but it just gets easier and easier. And in fact, you can end up, you, you must never enjoy the fire walk too much uh, because that's a temptation in itself, but you can become, you can become, you can become hardened to it without being um, a hardened and tough and unpleasant mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. But you can be hardened to the brick bats of the world, and as I am. And um, as I always say, I seek the approval of a small right. number of people. Back in a moment, forgive me. Unfortunately, we're at the final segment of our dialogue. Douglas Murray's book, The War on the West, is truly significant. By the way, Douglas, are you living in uh, Britain? Have you left Britain? Have you done your own no, Brexit? I've, I've done my own Brexit. I live in uh, America now. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm um, a refugee for my own country for the time being. Why, why did you pick New York? One I'll of, tell you why. Because um, my view is that throughout much of my life and much of your life, Europe and Britain have been the net exporters of bad ideas into America. And that in recent years, that situation has reversed. America is now the world's net exporter of bad ideas. Mm -hmm. The things that I write against in the, in the war on the West, the, the uh, anti-white racism, the hatred of our history, the attempt to pull down the Judeo-Christian religion and the secular traditions of the West, the desire to politicize all art and culture. These are all things that have come from America in recent years. Now, my own country of birth, Britain, suffers from this, undoubtedly suffers from this. It's one of the reasons why Britain has a war on Winston Churchill going on at the moment, which I describe in the book, an unfathomable thing only a few years ago. But here's the point, is that America is the place that has exported these ideas. And my belief is that you, there is very little point in dealing with a secondary virus Hmm. The primary thought virus of our day, and indeed the ethical and moral disaster of our day, such as the re-racialization of society in the name of anti-racism, such as the leveling of all of our heroes, the pulling down, literally, of our heroes, our founders, and much more. These things have come from America. And if they're not addressed in America, they can't be addressed anywhere. So... I want to be... You went, you went to the belly of the beast. Life. I decide to go to the belly of the beast. I, d I, I could have an easier life, mm -hmm. but I don't want one. This is the absolute... The, the, one of the key struggles of our time is to sustain what we have received from our forebears without wrecking it. And in order to do that, we have to be able to solve this question and address it in America. And that's why in the war on the West, I try to arm people with facts on people with the things we need to know say back at the people who would destroy everything we have that is good well on that on that note douglas murray god bless you the book is the war on the west it is up at my website ladies and gentlemen 
It's important. And I want you to know people like Douglas Murray give me strength, as many of you say I give you. We all need each other. We're fighting for the best thing ever made. The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor Pain-Free Studio. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi everybody, Dennis Prager here. It could be a great day in America, we don't know yet. But there's a real chance that the war on free speech, the greatest gift America has ever had for itself and for the world, the most envied item of decent people on earth, who when they demonstrate for liberty, wave the American flag and no other flag on earth. The people who loathe free speech, that is, the entire left, not liberals, liberals are pro-free speech in theory, but they vote for the left. So while they are theoretically different from the left, they are instrumentally identical because they make the left powerful. Nevertheless, it is the left that suppresses free speech. I tell you every day, I have never been contradicted, not once. Even the hate mail that I received has not contradicted this. There is no example in the last 105 years, dated back, dating back to the Russian Revolution. There is no example of free speech allowed when the left attains power, whether it was in Russia in 1917 or at Columbia University and any other university. I only take that one as an example because I attended Columbia and I've watched it sink since I did. It was sinking then, to be honest. Tell me a place where the left is in power, whether it is Google, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or any place else, certainly academia, that they have allowed dissent. So Elon Musk has looked at Twitter, realizes it suppresses people. It didn't allow the last president of the United States to have an account. The last president president of the United States, half this country voted for him, half. And they said to half this country, F you. That was the message of Twitter. It wasn't F you to Donald Trump. It was those words, and I'm sure they used them at their headquarters, to the half of this country who voted for him. We don't give a damn about you. You should shut your mouths. You're all racist pigs anyway. That is the attitude at Facebook. That is the attitude at Twitter. That is the attitude at Columbia. That is the attitude at uh, every social medium, every mainstream social medium. That is the attitude at the New York Times, which is apoplectic about the idea that Elon Musk will own Twitter 
but loved the idea that Jeff Bezos would own the Washington Post. And for that matter, who's the Mexican uh, billionaire who owns the New York Times? Carlos Slim. Carlos Slim. Yeah. Why don't we talk about that? I'm not sure he still owns the New York Times. Oh, he doesn't still? Oh, interesting. Well, he did. Nobody said anything then. Well, they certainly didn't say anything when Jeff Bezos, was he the second richest man in the world? I'm serious. Is he sometimes second? He's the first, oh, they go back uh, back and forth, first and second. That's fine. If a lefty uh, billionaire owns a medium, that's beautiful. That's noble. But if a non-leftist, uh, Musk strikes me as a uh, more of a, of a libertarian than anything else but but he's not a leftist that drives them crazy they may not have a monopoly on speech i'll read to you the new york times editorial they're just crazy you know that there's sexual harassment at uh, elon musk's at, at tesla did you know that there's no sexual harassment at the new york times there's no sexual harassment at, at any left-wing company. But Elon Musk's Tesla, uh, there was unwanted touching. That alone should be a reason. Or, excuse me, allegations of unwanted touching. Unwanted touching. We'll talk about that another time. Unwanted touching is wrong. On the other hand, well... I'll give you the other hand. I have actually wrote it up. Talk. I am tempted to talk about it now, but this is too important. So forgive me. So Elon Musk owns Twitter. He should move Twitter to Texas or Florida. He should move it to a free state. My own home will lose its value if more and more companies leave. I'll give you an example, then I'll come back to this, of where I don't make decisions on whether it's good for me. It's very, very bad for me, personally, financially, that I cannot take my California income tax, which is astronomic, off my federal income tax. That was changed by Donald Trump, but he was right. I suffer for it, and I believe that it is the right call. I am more interested in America's welfare than I am in me. How's that? I am very interested in me. But I I want to leave a legacy of a vibrant society to my children and grandchildren. That was the right call. There is no reason why states without an income tax should support states with, with, with an income tax. So I think that uh, he should move Twitter from California. He might very well do that. There was a video I saw of weeping workers at Twitter. I have to say that it, uh, I had zero sympathy for these people. They have been deniers of free speech to my beloved country. Nearly every one of them should be fired and look for productive work in life. They should drive a truck, for example. We need truckers. 
Yeah, and I heard Walmart starting at $100,000, right? I definitely think that uh, these young employees at Twitter who've devoted their lives to suppressing free speech might consider trucking. I'd like them to deny that they have that they suppress free speech. What else do you do with Twitter if you don't suppress free speech? Ah, you're fighting misinformation. That's exactly the term that Putin uses to suppress his critics. Misinformation. I spoke to you yesterday about a speech I will be giving on Mother's Day in, uh, in La Cañada, California, very near here where I broadcast, where a Jewish organization, the most dynamic one in the world, called Chabad, they've opened up a Chabad house. They have them all over the world. I visited a Chabad house in Cambodia, and there are no Jews in Cambodia. And they, they opened one up, and I wanted to help them out. So I, just, I volunteered to give a speech. I'm giving a speech on raising moral leaders. The rabbi purposely picked a non-political topic. He could not even put a notice of my speech up at the La Cañada Parents Facebook page because they took it down saying, Dennis Prager deals in hate and misinformation. Yep, hate and misinformation. Those of you who listen to my show know that's what you're getting. Is there a single example of misinformation that they gave? Not one. I am I am religiously and personally and temperamentally preoccupied with truth. If I say something that is inaccurate, and find it out, I say immediately, oh, that was a mistake. Misinformation. Misinformation is the term Putin and the left use for what they differ with. Is it misinformation to say that, by and large, masks are worthless? Why is that misinformation? Because the CDC likes masks? How do you know the CDC is not giving you misinformation? Do you know how many scientists believe that it is worthless? Did you even know about the great, uh, was it the Great Barrington Declaration, right? Tens of thousands, I believe, scientists signed against lockdown. Is that misinformation? Why is it misinformation? Because Fauci doesn't like it? He is the determiner of information and misinformation? I'll bet tweets that even referenced the Great Barrington Declaration were taken down at Twitter as misinformation. You can't quote scientists on Twitter. I'll be back. The Dennis Prager Show. To the consternation of many, many people, I have said that I've been agnostic on the issue of the 2020 election and whether it was fraudulently won. It bothers the left that I don't out and out call that misinformation and lie. And it bothers some on the right that I don't out and out say, of course, it was a fraud. So I have lived with that. Everyone in public life has to live with disappointing people. 
And then along came Dinesh D'Souza's film, and it moved me toward the... It seems to have been fraudulent. In addition to the anomalies, which are not discussed in the film, because it's not about that, it's about the mules, people who put ballots in the middle of the night, and I mean the middle of the night, I mean the wee hours of the morning, would go to ballot boxes and put ballots in. There is no honest explanation for all of these mules. How many mules did you did this Truth the Vote group monitor? Well, Dennis, in the initial uh, search, um, Truth the Vote purchased a um, an incredible uh, body of evidence, which is to say, ten trillion cell phone pings. And then they ran a search algorithm looking for people who had gone to five left-wing organizations. These are the so-called uh, vote stash houses and 10 or more drop boxes. So these are the very industrious, egregious mules who are going to many drop boxes. Uh, and we uncovered over 2,000 mules in that alone. But then they did a, a search in which they dropped the number of drop boxes from 10 to 5. And then the number of mules just explodes hmm. because it turns out there were a lot more people doing more modest kind of mule trafficking. Uh, and now you're looking at uh, a number of mules in the tens of thousands. Uh, we don't give the exact number, but it's a much bigger number than 2,000. How many mules have acknowledged there being a mule? Not very many. And for the simple reason that no one so far has, has made a serious effort. And this is a, something that only law enforcement can do because through the vote has the cell phone IDs of these mules, but it doesn't have their names. Um, your, each cell phone has a sort of a digital fingerprint called the cell phone ID. Now, it takes law enforcement to go to a court and the court says, yeah, you can go to the provider and they'll give you the name and perhaps the address of who that guy actually is. Somebody needs to arrest the mules and say, who paid you, who organized this, who put you up to this? That has not occurred. And the big question following the film is, will it occur? That's a very big question. That, that would be devastating. Would, do you think a Republican administration would do that? Well, let's look at an actual example. Uh, we're talking now about Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, a Republican, a part of the Kemp administration. And Raffensperger is in an awkward position because right after the election, he pompously proclaimed that the election was completely secure. In fact, he got into a somewhat raucous argument with Trump about that. And so he is publicly on record and was lionized in the media for being the apostle of election integrity. So imagine how difficult it's going to be for that guy, sort of the sheriff of the of the town to now say wait a minute there was actually coordinated fraud going on under my nose and i was so stupid that i had no idea this was going on but now i have to admit it well raffensperger has actually reopened his investigation based exclusively on information provided by true the vote the research organization that i'm working in partnership with here and so he acknowledges that there is something here but he hasn't really pursued that investigation. I would just say so far it's moving at what I would call the Durham Portis space. Let me go to some let me go to some calls here. Uh, Patrick in Philadelphia. You're on with Dinesh D'Souza and me. Hello. Hello. Hi. So I would like to know where is the proof 
that that uh, Mr. D'Souza is, is claiming he has. He, I heard him run through a hypothetical, two hypotheticals of uh, harvesting votes from from nursing homes and from homeless shelters. But I also heard him say that this is a way that they may have gotten the votes. It sounds like there is no proof of that. Okay, hold on if you would, Patrick, and you too, please, Dinesh, I'm taking a break, but I want to remind everyone that the film, which is a remarkable documentary, is coming out next week, 2000mules.com. You can see it in a theater and four other ways, 2000mules.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager speaking with, and you can watch us, of course. My, my shows are now on a video. Where do people go, Sean? SalemNewsChannel.com. Dinesh D'Souza has made this film, which is very upsetting. Whatever side you're on, it's got to be upsetting if, if, you're, if you're intellectually and morally open. Something bad happened in the election of 2020. You can decide whether you believe it was decisive, but something bad happened. So Dinesh, this caller from Philadelphia says, you're speculating when you say that ballots might have been obtained from nursing homes or homeless shelters, and there's no proof of such. What is your response to him? Well, my response to him is, let's start with what we do know. And then let's ask what obligation I have to prove anything beyond that, right? So we do know that these votes are originating in left-wing nonprofits that are ensconced in these democratic urban areas. Now, by the way, it should be noted that these nonprofits, 501c3 organizations, many of them, are forbidden by the IRS from engaging in electioneering. They're not allowed to um, do electioneering on behalf of any party or candidate. So right there, you have a very interesting phenomenon. Left-wing organizations um, in the name of, quote, get out the vote, are actually getting out the mules. Number two, we have hundreds of thousands of votes that are being delivered by paid mules. And here we have to make a critical distinction between vote harvesting and ballot trafficking. Now, there are some states, California predictably the most liberal, that allow you or me to give my vote, my ballot to anybody and say, hey, go go drop it off. And he, so that's vote harvesting. By the way, in the five swing states that we're talking about, the rules are much more strict. So in Georgia, for example, you are allowed to give your vote your ballot to a family member or if you are incapacitated or, or confined to a caregiver. That's it. You can't give your vote to a friend or anyone else to deliver, let alone to a paid mule. Now, here's the point. In no state, not in California, nowhere else, is anybody allowed to be paid to deliver votes. That automatically renders these votes illegal, and the process by which this is organized becomes not only an illegal, but a criminal operation. So all of this is fully demonstrated. You have illegal votes by the hundreds of thousands being cooked up and, and collected by left-wing nonprofits that are not supposed to be doing it, who are then illegally paying the mules. And all of this is proven beyond a reasonable doubt in the movie. 
So it's kind of like saying, I've got the murderer, I've got video of him breaking into Fort Knox, I see the gun going off, and now the caller is saying, wait a minute, you don't know exactly which gun store he bought the gun from. And I go, well, listen, there are gun stores all over the place. He could have gotten them 10 different ways. It's not hard to get your hands on a gun. And he goes, yeah, but you haven't proven where this particular mule got that particular gun. And I'm saying even that can be figured out in 10 seconds by law enforcement. Arrest the mule and he's going to tell you. So I don't see this as a very forceful question because... We have the crime being committed, it's on video, and some of the details of the crime are easily accessible to law enforcement to figure out. Okay, Patrick, I kept you on. What would you like to say? Well, actually, that's a, that's a, a great segue into my larger question. If I had a video of a murder happening, I would not make a movie about it. I would go to law enforcement with my evidence. I don't understand... If the the evidence is so incontrovertible, well, you would make a, you would make Mr. a movie Dupuis about it. it. Well, I I I, well, why, I followed why you until now. I don't FBI understand. What, with, well, first, well, law enforcement with, it doesn't information. Okay, forgive me. I just want to say, I don't understand the objection about making the movie. Movies are made about things that happen. There were movies made about the Kennedy assassination fifty years after the assassination. They didn't just go to law enforcement. This is a way of having people pressure for law enforcement to look into it. Did he contact law enforcement with the supposed evidence of this illegal okay. activity? Okay, all right, all right. Well, well, all right. Listen, I want to thank you for calling, and you want to give an answer to that, Dinesh? Oh, absolutely. Look, uh, the evidence was uh, uncovered by a group called True the Vote, and they're the ones who bought the geo-tracking data. Now, from the beginning, they have been really clear that they are willing to cooperate with in Georgia, not just the FBI, but the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. They have filed a complaint with Raffensperger's office, the Secretary of State, as I mentioned earlier. He has reopened an investigation into it. They've also been, uh, they've also pr provided reports in Arizona, reports in Wisconsin. So this is a group that wants to work with the authorities, but you have to remember that in some of these states, you have Democratic secretaries of state. You have a you have a law enforcement apparatus that operates at the behest of the political establishment. So law enforcement is not going to move if the attorney general doesn't want to move. And obviously calling from Pennsylvania, you know that there is a Democratic secretary of state. And so the political establishment has the ability and in many cases has shown no interest. Uh, in having these kinds of investigations or arresting the mules, in part because this is an operation that to some degree they themselves created the infrastructure for. I'm not saying that they're colluding with the operation directly, but they're the ones who loosen the signature requirements. They're the ones who put the drop boxes there in the first place. So this is a, a corruption that at some level goes pretty much all the way to the top. Lucas, Texas, okay. uh, Mike in, in Lucas, Texas says, Bill Barr says no evidence election was stolen. What is your response to that? Bill Barr is, I think, in the position of the sheriff where this occurred right under his nose. 
and he would seem like a complete fool if he were to now acknowledge. I mean, I'd love to see his expression if he sat in the movie. I mean, I would pay money to see this and just have him look at the evidence as a reasonable person and tell me what he thinks as he left the theater. I think that this guy was kind of napping on the job. He's kind of an establishment guy. He kind of assumed, I mean, think about all these people who are telling us it's the most secure election in history. My question is, how would you know? Now, the answer is AP, for example, Associated Press says, well, we've only found 400 cases of election fraud in the courts. But that's like saying we've only seen 400 cases of drug arrests in the courts, and therefore we've concluded right. that in the five states Back. in question, there are only in 400 people taking drugs. To be or not to be. That is the question. Where was God? Isn't God supposed to be good? Isn't he supposed to love us? And does God want us to suffer? Ten years, you're not finished yet? Warning! Why did you do this to me? Who are you? Bruce? I'm God. Bingo! Yahtzee! Is that your final answer? Our survey says... God! Bing, 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 bing! Well, it was nice to meet you, God. Thank you for the Grand Canyon, and good luck with the apocalypse. Hi, everybody. The Ultimate Issues Hour is the third hour of my show each Tuesday. Some enormous question of life. Sometimes religious, sometimes philosophical, sometimes political, sometimes personal, sometimes psychological, but it's a big issue. And on occasion, I take off from an issue in the news. That will be the case today. Usually it's not news-based. But I want to deal with a subject I have not dealt with on the Ultimate Issues Hour ever, though I have certainly addressed it on occasion in all my other hours, and that is, what is free speech? And how important is it? It's big. It's a big question. So what is free speech? According to Pew Research, one of the most prestigious opinion poll companies, something approaching 50% of young people in this country do not believe in free speech for hate speech. If you want to be alarmed, that should alarm you on two grounds. One, on the position itself, the merits or non-merits in this case of that position, I'll explain. The other is how poorly these young people who say that think the idea that you believe you are for free speech except for hate speech means you are not for free speech. They don't understand that. <laughs> I am for everybody to be allowed to wear whatever color clothing they want, providing it isn't a color I dislike. That would be a perfect analogy. 
you are perfectly free to wear any color outfit. However, if I don't like the color, I will ban you from wearing it. I will prohibit you. In fact, I will even jail you. So are you for freedom of clothing color? No, you're not. Your freedom for clothing clothing color providing you like it. All right. This is this sales over half of the country, the left half. Actually, it's not true. Liberals would understand this. So it, it sails over the heads of 20% of the country. But unfortunately, 40% of young people, because they've never been exposed to the argument in the other direction. The notion that you are for free speech but not for hate speech is absurd, is logically absurd, that you're not for free speech. The most obvious objection is, who is to determine what is the hate speech? The answer is you. So in other words, if you say, I am for free speech except for hate speech, what you are saying is, I am for free speech only if I like the speech. If I don't agree with the speech, I feel that I should be able to shut it down. A story. When I was a young guy, Nazis, the real Nazis, I mean, honest-to-goodness swastika-wearing, Hitler-idealizing Americans who were in the Nazi party. There weren't many, but there were more then. This was the 1970s, I believe. They decided, because they're sadists, to march in, of all places, Skokie, Illinois. Skokie is a suburb of Chicago, and many Holocaust survivors lived there. You can imagine the pain that they would endure seeing the symbol of what murdered in almost every case a good part of their family. We know the trauma of losing one member of a family to murder. Imagine all your cousins, uncles, aunts, grandparents, parents, often children, all murdered. It is a wonder that these people moved on with life. But that, of course, is another subject. But that's where the Nazis decided to march. And as I recall it, pretty much everybody agreed that they should be allowed to do so because in America you have free speech, even for what the vast majority would agree is hate speech. Today, what is called hate speech, you don't have to be a real Nazi. You simply have to say, for example that men do not give birth. J.K. Rowling is the Harry Potter genius. She's the author of the Harry Potter books. J.K. Rowling said that there are only two sexes, male and female, and she has death threats. She's considered a major hater. Did I get that right on J.K. Rowling? Isn't that amazing? So what is called hate speech today only means that which the left doesn't agree with. That's called hate speech. 
Give me an example of anything the left differs with that is not called hate speech. I'll wait. Ah, what's well, better than I do it? That's right. Yeah. Ask that ask that of your relative on the left. Name me something that the left differs with that is not declared hate speech. <laughs> really, I'm ju- I'm not kidding. Can you think of anything? I have some bright people here. I mean, go, go down go down any subject. America. If you say America is not systemically racist, you're a hater. You hate blacks. Right? Yeah, that's hate speech. America is not systemically racist. It's hate speech. America was not founded in 1619. Hate speech. There are only men and women. Whether one identifies with it or not does not deny the fact that there are men and women, just as there's only male and female in the animal kingdom, or at least certainly in any species higher than some very primitive organisms. It's all called hate speech. Now you know why you have to have hate, you have to have free speech virtually unimpeded. Because the moment you say, ah, but, not for, yes, not for crying fire in a crowded theater. Not for putting up way to, a way to build a, an atom bomb. We all recognize the, that there are some limitations, not on opinion, but on that which will uh, cause irreparable harm to a society because of the facts of the message, like how to make an atom bomb. We all understand that. Where to purchase nuclear weapons. But these are very rare. As a general rule, certainly opinion, as opposed to providing data for mass destruction, opinion is allowed. I'll give you another example. Also concerns Jews, as it happens. In in I think every European country, certainly most, so I would assume every EU country, it is actually a crime to deny the Holocaust. Now, anyone who denies the Holocaust is scum, is human dreck. I, it is not possible for me to overstate my contempt indeed hatred for people who deny the most documented atrocity in human history. However, in America, you can be despicable. That's the way it works with free speech. Not in Europe. 1-8 Prager 776, Ultimate Issues Hour, free speech is the subject. The Dennis Prager Show. Dennis Prager here. Ultimate Issues Hour is about free speech. So I I explained to you why it is inherently self-contradictory to say I believe in free speech except for hate speech. However, so many young people have been brainwashed, and I mean that literally. I don't mean their brains were washed, but I mean it literally that they have been brainwashed. 
by their teachers at college and now high school and increasingly elementary school that they can make a statement that is inherently absurd. I believe in free speech except for hate speech. What you're saying is you don't believe in free speech because you don't believe in free speech with regard to anything that you don't agree with. Okay, that's not free speech. Having defined it, now let's talk about how important it is. Free speech is what gives humans dignity. If you cannot say what you think, you are rendered not human. You are rendered robotic. The people of North Korea, who have absolutely no free speech, they are even banned from free thinking. They can't even think in ways that Kim Jong-un does not approve of. They are told that he knows your thoughts, and I would say most North Koreans believe that. It sounds crazy to you, but nothing is crazy. I don't believe anything is crazy anymore. The brainwashing of the American people into behaviors that were so utterly injurious to themselves and to their children because health authorities said so proves to me the ease with which vast numbers of people can be brought to believe idiocy. This was two unbelievably sobering years for me. Yes, let's keep children out of school, even though all it does is hurt them. That's all it did was hurt them. Teachers were in the vanguard of hurting kids. Why you trust your kids with teachers after what they did for the last two years is, shall we say, a puzzle. I'm using a smile, the term, as I can conjure up. Mask, masks on two-year-olds on an airplane cleanest air available outside of surgical room, maybe even cleaner than a surgical room. Let's put masks on two-year-olds. And so the ease with which people can be brainwashed, don't laugh at North Koreans, given Americans' conduct, and everybody else's, in Europe, anywhere, Israel, you name it. The sheep of, of the world have demonstrated that they are the majority of the world. So I don't, uh, I don't mock the North Korean for believing Kim Jong-un can read his or her thoughts. Free speech is what gives the human dignity. Yep. It's not the only thing that gives people dignity, but it's up there. What else gives people dignity? It's an interesting question. What else gives people dignity? Not living in abject poverty. Abject poverty is, is a, a compromise on human dignity. So you, you can end up living sort of like an animal. I would say abject poverty and absence of free speech. But I mean abject poverty. I mean you have essentially nothing. We don't have that in the United States. What we call poverty would be in many places in the world 
considered middle class. So what what gives you more dignity than the ability to say what you think? If you can't say what you think, you're a human in in a biological sense, but only in a biological sense. I remember people on the left saying all of my lifetime, wow, they have such a high literacy rate in Cuba. <laughs> to which I always responded, yeah, but they can't read what they want. So here's an interesting question. Would you rather be illiterate and have freedom or literate and not have freedom? I'd rather be illiterate and have freedom. I could hear a book. I could hear an idea. I can speak my mind. But people don't cherish free speech. Another revelation of the last two years to me. People don't don't cherish it. They don't cherish liberty, period. Liberty is not an instinct. It's not a yearning. People yearn to be taken care of. They don't yearn to be free. So, I defined free speech, and I told you that it's the most important of all the freedoms. And now I'll go to your calls. 1-8-Prager-776-877-243-777. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com.